Section 61 of Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts by David Alec Wilson. The Brief Biography of a Little Bear, Part 1, Early Days. It was in 1899 and in Upper Burma that two little bears were brought, by villagers who had caught them, to an officer still flourishing as a magistrate in Burma, but averse to fame for himself, though willing that his pets should have their place in history. They were at first no bigger than that, he said as he held his hands about a foot apart, and I took a fancy to them and decided to bring up both. It was as interesting as if they had been babies, and easier. Indeed, the bear has a certain primeval claim upon us, having perhaps been humanity's oldest acquaintance. It is not a mere accident that the Greeks made him a king of the woods and sacred to Diana, and the Red Indians of America made elaborate respectful speeches to excuse themselves for eating him, as if it were a kind of cannibalism. It can hardly be doubted that men and bears became friends at first in much the same way as men become friendly among themselves at college and elsewhere, because they chanced to be neighbors and of similar habits. Nuts were nuts to bears and men, and fruits and eggs were appreciated by both alike. For thousands of years, our arboreal ancestors and the bears must have hobnobbed together, both finding it awkward to have to be at home upon the trees and yet move about upon the grounds. Ah, how we both did envy the birds! We have risen a great deal in the world since then, and the bears have been stationary, but we need not be proud. While we watch the clumsy gait of the bear as he brings his four legs to the ground, if he has far to go, and hobbles along, not very nimbly perhaps, but better than we could go on all fours, his very clumsiness should give us food for thought. As he is now, so once were we, that is to say, our ancestors, meaning our arboreal ancestors, not long ago, that is to say, probably less than a million years ago. When he is young and only learning to walk, his toes being turned in so as to suit his arboreal movements, the bear trips on his own paws and at times rolls over in a ludicrous way as if turning an unwilling somersault. After such a collapse, his next impulse naturally is to move backwards as the safer way, but then, his eyes being set in his head like our own, he soon finds that the universe is too complex to allow indefinite blind retrogression, and so he tries again and makes another cautious step or two forward with a continuous effort to avoid tripping on his own toes. At last, though not without many a sad catastrophe, he does learn to go forward and follow his nose like other people. This is natural history an account of how a little bear learns to walk, and it is not an allegory of the Russian Empire as readers might suppose. That was how these two little ones learned, while growing in size and in favor with man and woman. They were in their native climate, and too young as yet to see any difference between humanity and themselves. It was pleasant to watch them, and share their feelings, and escape for a moment from the narrow limitations of humanity. At home in the world wheresoever I be, there's nothing alive that is foreign to me. 
I have another friend who has also been foster father to bears, and who is fond of illustrating the distinction between instinct and reason by their infantile habits. However small the cub, he never needs to be taught how to bend and arrange the twigs so as to give himself a convenient resting place upon a branch. That, I am told, is instinct, and so, I suppose, is licking his paws, which comes as easy as breathing. But once two baby bears were attracted by the smell of honey to a wild bee's nest up a tree. The bees came out with angry buzz and stings. The assailants were young and had neither bee hats nor aprons, and they retired discomfited. Their kind master gave them as consolation prize some spoonfuls of honey on a plate. They licked it all up and then looked at each other with surprise and animation, as men do who are realizing something strange, as if saying to each other and each to himself, so that was the meaning of the smell we went to investigate. When the brutality of instinct, as the French call it, was thus reinforced by knowledge, they did not hesitate. They did not pause to parley or dissemble. Straight back to the tree they went, and up it swiftly, steadily, right to the nest of the bees, and tore it open, heedless of the stings, brushing the bees aside as carelessly as if they were flies. They guzzled the honey and came down slowly, licking their lips only when it was finished. Surely their foster father might well be proud of bears like these, and say that they could draw inferences as well as an undergraduate. In case any reader is led by this history to bring up a cub, let him remember to leave plenty of water in his tub in the bathroom. It is sure to be much appreciated in the hot weather. There is no prettier sight than a little bear enjoying himself in that way, with his two little hands, I mean forepaws, hanging over different sides of the tub as he leans back. It should, however, be remembered that not being equal to the use of towels, he likes to go to a bed and roll himself on the bedding when he comes out of the water. So unless there is someone standing by, there should be a waterproof sheet over any accessible bed. These things are common to adolescent bears. The uniformity of nature is an old discovery, and one of them is like another. As this is not a treatise on natural history, but a biography of an individual, I must restrict myself to what was peculiar to our heroine and her companion, and leave others to dilate upon what may be generally seen in her fellow creatures of the same species. End of section 61